You're listening to Season 9 of Mobile Suit Breakdown, a weekly podcast covering the entirety of sci-fi mega-franchise Mobile Suit Gundam, researching its influences, examining its themes, and discussing how each piece of the Gundam canon fits within the changing context in Japan and the world from 1979 to today. This is Episode 9.3, Edge of Childhood. How a multi-tool and pocket knife became an icon. War in the pocket and the history of the Swiss Army knife. Wait, you just made it longer. I thought you were going to make it shorter. Well, but only the first part goes on the on the cover. Oh, I see. I didn't need the episode. To, <laughs> I don't need the episode title to be shorter. I just need a short thing I can put on the cover. <laughs> and then all that goes in the subtitle. I see. I see. Anyway, we're your hosts. I'm Tom, Gundam fan and research enjoyer, and I guess short title enthusiast. Except for when he makes the titles 30% longer. 30%? And I'm Nina, comparatively new to Gundam. Something, 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 something. These are hard to write when we're not covering episodes. Mobile Suit Breakdown is made possible by 711 paying subscribers. Thank you all, and special thanks to our newest supporters. Lance D, Colin S, Moonlight Butterfly, Stratoblaster Jones, and Brian H., you keep us Genki. We are just a couple of weeks away from the fifth anniversary of our very first episode. Longtime listeners will remember that we always do a special promotion and an annual pin right around this time this year that is going to fall after the anniversary itself. Uh, there have been some delays, but as you all know, they always turn out looking really cool. So it's worth the wait, and we will keep you posted about that but we will probably be talking some more about that anniversary as we get closer to it. The time has flown by, and I am so proud of the work we've done and excited to see where Gundam takes us next. MSB is entirely listener-supported. If you'd like to hear us reach the Gundam of the 2000s, 2010s, and beyond, become a monthly subscriber today at gundampodcast.com Patreon. This week, Nina returns to War in the Pocket for a closer look at the contents of Al's pockets, as depicted in the show's eye-catch sequence. In particular, why does a Swiss army knife feature so prominently? In War in the Pocket, one of the eye-catches, the bits of still art or animation meant to bookend commercial breaks in an animated show, features a child's back pocket. The right-hand pocket is stuffed full. It's got what looks like a spare magazine, uh, magazines being a way to store and load spare ammunition for certain types of firearms, a toy rocket poking through a hole in the bottom of the pocket, and what looks like a multi-tool and pocket knife, the tool layers silvery gray and the outside layers red. The magazine is likely for some kind of toy gun, either an airsoft like those I talked about a couple weeks ago, or a Nerf or other foam dart gun. Initially, because the magazine looks as though it's holding bullet-shaped projectiles, I thought it couldn't be an airsoft. As established, they shoot BBs. But it turns out that there are plenty of airsoft magazines that look real, because of course there are. They are designed to look as if they are holding bullets. Uh, and plenty of realistic-looking but non-usable ammo sold as airsoft accessories. The rocket, or possibly ballistic missile, could either be a scale model or it could be from a kit. 
After World War II, when the space race really took off, kits that allowed kids to build and launch their own miniature rockets got very popular, and I'll include some links to examples in the show notes. Then there's the multi-tool slash pocket knife. While there are plenty of companies that make them, the most iconic, and the one evoked by that red exterior, is the Swiss Army Knife. It's in collections of the Museum of Modern Art in New York and Munich's State Museum of Applied Art for its design, and it has become a catch-all term for an adaptable person or thing, someone or something broadly useful in a variety of different situations. I'm sure many of us have heard someone describe something as the Swiss Army Knife of XYZ. But why would it be included with these toys? When and how did Swiss Army Knives become so internationally known and popular? First off, it's worth mentioning that pocket knives, which is to say knives where the blade folds into the handle, making them more compact and safer to carry without a sheath, date back to at least the Iron Age, far earlier than I would have thought. And the Swiss Army Knife was not even the first multi-tool pocket knife. According to one source, the earliest mention of such an item is in Herman Melville's 1851 novel Moby Dick. The excerpt reads, Contrivances, assuming the exterior, though a little swelled, of a common pocket knife, but containing not only blades of various sizes, but also screwdrivers, corkscrews, tweezers, awls, pens, rulers, nail files, and countersinkers. If you think about it, when you're working on a ship, dealing with sails or lines or any aspect of the sailing of the ship, it would be very useful to have a single tool that could contain all of the different tools you might possibly need, since you can't very well carry a toolbox around with you when you're climbing up in the rigging. Same for a woodsman, anybody who would go on long camping or hunting trips, fishermen, I'm sure that's true of a lot of different activities. The famed Swiss Army Knife has its origins in the 1880s, when the Swiss Army decided to order new folding pocket knives for their soldiers, called, descriptively, soldier's knives. These needed to include a can opener for opening ration tins, and a screwdriver, which was necessary for cleaning and servicing the standard-issue rifle at that time, the Schmidt-Rubin. The design was finalized in January of 1891, and was designated the Model 1890. It had, quote, a blade, reamer, can opener, screwdriver, and grips made out of dark oak wood that some say was later partly replaced with ebony wood. At the time, no Swiss company had the manufacturing capacity to make all of the knives the army wanted to order, and so the first run were made by the German knife maker Wester Co. But within a year, Karl Elsener, the owner of a Swiss surgical equipment manufacturing company, set out to make the Swiss army soldiers' knives locally. At first, his company made a knife that was basically the same design as the one produced by Wester & Co., but the German company was able to make them much more cheaply, and Elsner was making and selling them at a loss. This went on for years, and Elsner's company was almost bankrupt when, in 1896, he designed a new and improved version. Better quality knife, tools attached on both sides of the handle, an improved spring mechanism, and the addition of a corkscrew and another smaller knife. This new knife was patented in 1897 and dubbed the Schweizer Officers und Sportsmesser, or Swiss Officers and Sports Knife. After the 1909 death of his mother, Elsner used her name, Victoria, as a brand name. 
Then, in 1921, with the invention of stainless steel, Elsner's son modified the name to combine Victoria and the French name for stainless steel, acier inoxidable. That sounds more Spanish than French, sorry. <laughs> uh, but leading to the name we now know, Victorinox. Oh, kind of sounds like it should be a Pokemon. It's a bit unclear when exactly the Swiss Army stopped contracting with Vester and Co. and started using only Swiss companies, but it seems to have been right around the turn of the century. The contract was split between Victorinox and another Swiss industrial cutler, Wenger, which Victorinox went on to acquire in 2005. Victorinox makes a lot of other products nowadays, but their various multi-tool knives remain the most iconic. It seems that during World War II, U.S. soldiers admired the handy little knives and bought quite a few of them to take home as gifts and souvenirs. These soldiers had trouble pronouncing the real name, and so the generic, but now trademarked term, Swiss Army Knife, came into use. This was their entree into the international market, and was followed by a really remarkable surge in popularity. In 1977, the Swiss Army Knife was first exhibited at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City in recognition of its ingenious design. In 1978, NASA ordered a bunch of Swiss Army Knives for its astronauts, and the knives saw plenty of use on shuttles, on space stations, and on other NASA-involved missions. In the popular 1985 TV series from the United States, MacGyver, a secret agent who is also a former scientist and a former Special Forces bomb technician, solves all kinds of predicaments with found objects, duct tape, matches, and his trusty Swiss Army knife. The combined pocket knife multi-tool is simply called Army Knife, or Army Knife in Japanese. A local style of folding pocket knife became popular after the Meiji Restoration, Sword makers, who no longer had samurai to make swords for, needed to diversify, and their skills translated well to the handy multi-purpose Higonokami knife. But these weren't multi-tools, and I couldn't find any source that spoke to an early local version or to the introduction of a foreign model. Victorinox didn't open a sales subsidiary in Japan until 1993, but it seems likely that the Swiss Army knife made its way to Japan the same way it reached many other foreign markets with U.S. soldiers. Nowadays, most Swiss Army knives are technically legal to carry in Japan based on their blade length, but various local laws make carrying them without some express practical purpose illegal, and police have wide latitude to search people, decide what constitutes a reasonable purpose, and to confiscate. However, this is another area in which the law became much more strict in the 1960s and 70s. Prior to that, at least one source claims that pocket knives and multi-tools were very popular in Japan, a claim given additional credence by the fact that local Japanese companies created copycat versions of the Swiss Army knife. I'll link in the show notes or post pictures. The designs are cosmetically very similar. In the past, we've talked about the universal century as a post-national world. And in this case, I don't think the knife represents anything specifically Swiss or because of the possible association with U.S. soldiers, specifically American. I see all the contents of the pocket in the eye catch as symbols of boyhood, representations of a certain kind of play, 
a way in which boys are taught particular masculine skills, ideals, and virtues. The rocket represents the glorification of science and technology, divorced from its purpose. Toy rockets and missiles, whether they were purely models or could be launched, were made to spark an interest in rocket science and admiration for the engineering side of both the space race and the arms race. But these toys wouldn't have drawn attention to the use of that technology in war against people. Even the gun and the playing at soldiers that we see Al and his friends engage in with their realistic-looking toy guns and replica uniform insignia is, for most of the kids, impossible to connect with real war and death until the war touches their lives directly, which is exactly the trajectory for Al throughout the OVA. They learn to play at the bravery and the glory long before they learn the complicated reality. They are taught to admire and emulate the cogs in the war machine long before they are capable of seeing or understanding the whole machine. Personally, I'm not quite as convinced as Nina is that the magazine in Al's back pocket is actually meant for an airsoft or other kind of BB fake gun. I think there's a good chance that that is an actual magazine for an actual gun. And my interpretation of this eye catch is that we see a spectrum of different items here, which range from uh, the toy rocket, which is a toy based on a weapon of war, the Swiss army knife, which is like an actual piece of soldier's equipment that had by this point become a standard gift to give to a, a young boy. And then at the furthest extreme, an actual magazine full of real bullets, like an actual unambiguous piece of military equipment. The OVA, having established that Al and his friends have toy guns and never establishing that any of them have personal access to a real gun, the real magazine wouldn't make any sense. I just see him like carrying the magazine around, you know, for Bernie. He's helping out those Xeon commandos. It wouldn't surprise me if he was running guns for them. This is probably one of those things where we're not going to be able to talk each other around, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> anyway, I do wonder if the Swiss Army knife had a particularly martial image back in the day. Despite the name, I don't really associate the Swiss Army knife with soldiers or war. But the associations could have changed a lot over the years and could be very different in Japan than they are in my own mind. Especially if your guess is right and they initially entered the Japanese market as like handouts from U.S. servicemen to local kids. Here's a bar of chocolate. Here's my knife kind of thing. And particularly for the people who would have been making this OVA and working on it, they would have been that much younger when the Swiss Army Knife was introduced to Japan, whereas by the time I was aware of Swiss Army Knives, it was the 90s. Like <laughs> The time scale does change things. And in a way, by placing the Swiss Army Knife in this set of items, it forces us to recognize its origins. It draws those connections that in everyday life have been lost. For me, the Swiss Army Knife and similar tools don't connect with soldiering directly, but instead represent a number of values that I commonly associate with masculinity. Things like preparedness, handiness, self-reliance, manual skill. Uh, it represents adventure and outdoorsiness. 
But the toys children are given have, since time immemorial, been a way to encourage desired traits and skills. These toys in the eye catch, shown to us, the audience, every episode, hit us with that often uncomfortable Venn diagram of play and violence, war and childhood. Al loves to play at soldiering, but he is a child and no amount of play fighting can inoculate him against the horrors and trauma of war at home. The other half of the eye catch is Al wearing the Xeon soldier's helmet. He's sitting there with a big old smile on his face, and in that context, we can see it both as him playing dress-up, as kids are wont to do, and also with him actually needing that helmet because he does spend a fair amount of time around shrapnel and explosions and violence in the course of this show. Likewise, the back pocket here, if you were any adult in Al's life, or just in the streets of Rhea and you saw a kid running around with a toy rocket and a pocket knife and what may or may not be a magazine of real bullets in his back pocket, you would just like kind of shrug and be like, ah, oh, boys will be boys playing at soldiers. But Al is both a child playing at soldiers and an accessory to a Xeon special operation. Like he is both things. The two aren't actually like separable, they are intermingled and the contents of his back pocket convey that. I was wondering if the, because um, we briefly see the nuclear missile, um, mm. the one that hangs over the whole show, like, oh no, they're gonna blow up mm, Rhea with the nuclear right. missile. We briefly see it in episode five, um, and it does look kind of like the one in Al's pocket, but not, not close enough in the particulars for me to be like, this is foreshadowing that other thing, or this refers specifically to that. I don't think so. I think it's just a toy rocket. I did notice it kind of has like notches at the back end, like it's meant to plug into a launching platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's part of when I when I looked up toy rockets and toy missiles, most of them were parts of launch kits and like chemical launch kits, mm -hmm. like you actually mm -hmm. mixed fuel yeah i don't yeah. i don't think it was rocket fuel but you mixed a fuel and you <laughs> launched your tiny rocket and uh one of the biggest companies that made them still exists they're still kicking and they still do kits people like things that go boom yeah well and it's one of those like prime get kids into science from a young age kind of activities mm -hmm. where it's very easy to scale the difficulty because you start getting into the aerodynamics of the shape of the thing and you start getting into the mix of fuel and weight and balance and stress. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at the very simplest end, it's follow instructions, make thing go boom. <laughs> and at the top end, you've got high schoolers and college kids doing like competitions. Uh, so to make thing go boom real good. Yeah. To make best boom. I feel like when we were kids, if you got a Swiss Army knife for a kid, it was like, this is an outdoorsy kid. Here's a Swiss Army knife. Go play. They're symbols of like independence in a way. For me, it was less that mainly because we lived in a place where I didn't have a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. to be outdoorsy. But my parents had both been pretty outdoorsy before we moved. And I think there was a sense of it just being a good thing to have with you just in case mm. that like MacGyver thought process of, right. well, you never know when you're going to need a, a pair of scissors or mm. a pair of tweezers or yeah, a small yeah. knife like here. 
one of the things that hadn't even occurred to me but came up in the research was that Victorinox and uh, Wenger, their competitor for so many years who they bought out, were really hurt by all the security changes post 9-11. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be, like I said, most people had some kind of little, I don't know about most, but lots of people yeah. would carry some kind of multi-tool with a knife on their keys mm-hmm. or in their bag. It was just a thing a lot of people had. And then suddenly you couldn't board a plane with one. And so it became much less routine to just kind of carry it around with you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why they were even able to buy their competitor. Their competitor was really suffering as well. Uh, And they've certainly branched into all kinds of other goods now, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they still make knives. And they, in fact, make like a little kid version where it's still a usable knife, but it's not a pointed tip on the knife. They've given it the like rounded end. Mm -hmm. So a kid is less likely to stab themselves (laughs) or anyone else. (laughs) Uh, but can still use it to learn a little bit of like whittling mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's mainly what I used mine for. Yeah, I feel like now if you get a kid a pocket knife, for most kids, for most parents, it's going to be more of a like a, please go outside. Yeah. Please play outside a little bit. Go find some fallen branches and cut them up. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, well, time marches on. Next time on episode 9.4, White Devil, Amuro Ray, and Retroactive Continuity, Tom digs into Amuro Ray's wartime nickname. In the meantime, stay Genki, folks. Mobile Suit Breakdown is written, recorded, and produced by us, Tom and Nina, in scenic New York City, within the ancestral and unceded land of the Lenape people, and made possible by listeners like you. The opening track is Wasp by Misha Dioxin. The closing music is Long Way Home by Spinning Ratio. You can find links to the sources for our research, the music used in the episode, additional information about the Lenape people, and more in the show notes and on our website, GundamPodcast.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at GundamPodcast, or by email to hosts at GundamPodcast.com. And thank you for listening. putting away the computer window in which I'm trying to find out what Japanese company made these room kits so I can see what other kits they sell. (laughs) It's a little like traditional Japanese room with tatami floor and everything Mm -hmm. and the um, like traditional shelves and tokonoma Mm -hmm. and the little like exterior hallway Mm -hmm. and each of those sections is separate parts so you can like take it apart and put stuff in Mm -hmm. put it back together. Mm -hmm. Little sliding doors. Mm So actually, you speak first, generally, when we go into I the do. intros. I just, want, I just want to make sure you're ready for I, it. I'm ready. Okay. You're not currently thinking about dollhouse furniture? No, not right at this moment. Okay. The design was finalized in January of 1881 and designated the Model 1890. Is that right, or is it supposed to be finalized in 91? Sorry. I think I might have typoed something. Why would the bullets be orange? Sometimes they're that color.
friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just um, I'm having the beginnings of a thought oh. at the moment. Mm -hmm. Hang on. Actually, I need to go and check something. Something has just occurred to me. <laughs> okay. I don't think I don't think that thought is what I thought it was, unfortunately. So I don't have a thought. And no one sent me any rigorously researched Gundam facts this week, so nothing. Do people realize that now you want rigorously researched Gundam facts instead of wrong Gundam opinions? I, I think probably not. Yeah. So I'm saying like if you wanted more of them you could make an announcement here. I could. Thank you.